0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys, and uh, it's good. It is always good to sing that we have no other king. Um, what uh, What a reminder, and man, what's just something I need to sing a lot. I need to say it a lot. I need to believe it. Um, and so praise God that we can come and worship Him in that way today. Uh, well, we're, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, as we read just now in uh, chapter 1, uh, so you can turn there with me if you want. Uh, my daughter Hallie got uh, roller skates this week for her eighth birthday. She has been uh, learning to... Uh, uh, push back and forth, you know, right? like the like roller skates. Uh, how, like, how do you learn to do roller skates? I don't know. I had to watch a YouTube video. I couldn't remember. Uh, and so we're, <clears throat> you know, we're learning that and we're learning that possibly there's like maybe a rule of thumb for realtors, like a roller skate rule that like your, your house should be able to have all these straight lines to where you can roller skate. I don't know. Our house fails it. Um, and so we're, it's not the best place, but we're learning. But it reminded me of... It reminded me of teaching kids how to swim, right? So this was uh, a fun and, well, maybe not so fun experience, depending upon uh, what you how that went with your uh, children or as a child. Uh, but there are a couple different responses that I remember kids, my kids having to uh, the swimming pool. And we had have, we have both types. Uh, there, there are kids who are afraid of, of getting in. Uh, and then there are the kids that if you're not watching them, as you're setting your stuff down while you arrive, they will run into the pool with all their clothes on um, and have no idea how to swim, how they're going to get out or anything like that. So uh, the, we have both, both of those types, uh, but, but mostly uh, they're all af- a little bit afraid of getting a certain part of their body under the water. Their face, right? Their head. They don't want... They're like, yeah, I can touch the water. Toes, fine. Hands, good. Uh, Legs, okay. I don't want my head under the water. Um, And so... uh, But all the time we're trying to convince them, this is going to be great. You're going to love it. You've got a lifetime of fun and swimming ahead of you. Um, And so to convince them of how great it's going to be, we... Blow in their face and shove them under the water, right? I mean, that's isn't that is that kind of how we do it? I don't know. Maybe that's just how we did it. Um, so it's just like, hey, get ready, here we go, bam! Hey, wasn't that that wasn't too bad, was it? Um, and so, but this lifetime of joy is in front, um, but they've got to cross the starting line. They've got to believe uh, that it really is good, um, and so you you try to get them there. In Luke chapter one, uh, we're taking a quick a quick dive into the supernatural work of God, his supernatural power, the work of Jesus in the world, we're gonna see throughout this gospel is unbelievable. We're gonna swim the depths of his supernatural power. Uh, but to do so, uh, we have to take step one and, he's, and God is, is, is beckoning us, calling us into the waters uh, that we would believe, uh, that we would see his work and believe in him. And like, uh, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, he's, going to, he's going to ask us to believe. And so as we're introduced to Mary today, I want us to see four things. Number one, God uses the unlikely. Number two, our unborn hero. And number three, an impossible plan. And number four, that we need the impossible. Let me pray for us. Father, it is, it is altogether impossible that you, would, that you would even regard us at all. It is altogether amazing. Who are we that you, would, that you would know us, that you would want us, that you would love us, that you would not see us as just those who've rebelled against you uh, that need to be pushed away from your presence, but God, you've invited us to yourself. Oh, how amazing is that? And so Father, we, we ask this morning that as we go to your word, that we, would, that we would hear it, that it would not be dull to our ears and that our hearts would not be hard to, uh, to, to walking and following you by faith. God, we need, uh, we need uh, the milk, the true milk of your word. Would you satisfy us there? And so speak to us now we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, welcome to the longest chapter in the New Testament. Uh, you're, uh, if you really love Christmas, this is your chance, right? So uh, we've, we've uh, I, I'm not going to name names of anybody who might have their Christmas tree up already, um, but uh, but this is the this is the year for you. As we begin Luke, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be going through Luke one as we get into uh, the Christmas season, and we're getting the mega account of uh, the incarnation of Jesus. Um, we're still a month away from Advent, but here we are on the Fall Festival morning talking about Gabriel showing up to Mary. Um, it, what a scene! I want us just for a second to consider the context, uh, to consider where where are we in the Bible. Uh, so luke 's audience they knew the situation, uh, but but sometimes I think we can really easily zoom in on a, a, a something especially something really familiar and kind of look in really closely at the particulars and lose sight of the whole forest um, so let's just let's let 's see, let's set the scene of god 's story as luke is writing god 's people have experienced a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. they returned to Jerusalem from exile. Uh, hoping to see the glory of God return to the nation, hoping Israel would get back to its former glory under under kings like King David and under the worship that happened in Solomon's temple. Uh, But it it never really got there. Uh, Yes, they rebuilt the temple, uh, but only with approval uh, from the Persians. And even that project was a grind. The hearts of the people were hard, Um, not always seeking to honor God. The Ark of the Covenant was never recovered. God's presence felt distant still. Within a generation uh, back in the the land, they were captured again by the Greeks and the Egyptians and eventually by the Syrians. And and though they fought against the Syrians who wanted to desecrate their holy places uh, and and desecrate the temple, zeal for God's glory did still wane. Uh, Even in the priesthood, some uh, succumbed to I- empty ritual, uh, often just for the sake of staying alive, uh, for for staying in, in power, and this all culminates as Rome moves in. The Caesar of Rome installs Antipater, who's a political leader, uh, a not not a Hebrew, and he's over all of Judea. And Antipater's sons uh, are, are he he places in key places of power, and one of them is Herod the Great. And this kind of marks the beginning of this uh, dynasty of the Herods. And so here we are in chapter one, and we're dropped squarely into this broken story, into the brokenness of Israel, Herod the Great ruling over God's people, ruling over Judea some historians say that though his family outwardly converted to Judaism, it was more out of political expedience, not out of love for God. Herod was playing around with customs, pacifying God's people all while he was eager to be subservient and keep the power that had been given to him by Rome. And in their feasts, God's people would still recall the glory days. when God was with them, when he rescued his people, when he led them in the wilderness, and now where there had once been power, it seemed like there was just emptiness. They longed for real life, for the hope of God's presence. But many of them had traded it in. Over the course of generations, they had, they had traded it for, for legalism, uh, for maintaining peace with their occupiers. And if the nation of Israel was supposed to be this fountainhead uh, of God's blessing to the world, the fountain was dry. You might even say it was barren. The promises of the prophets had become a faint echo and the blessings, the the promise of the Elijah that was to come, the Messiah that would lead God's people, these teachings were fading into the background after 400 years of silence, which leads us to, to number one, God uses the unlikely. And so I love this moment here at the beginning of Luke Where here is this wasteland uh, that is the nation of Israel, which powerful which powerful people in this story are going to are going to rise up? Which ones are going to are going to be the 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 kingly leader to take control? So in scene one, which we looked at last week, Luke zooms in on who? On an old priest it's like, yeah, that's not gonna do it, Luke. That's probably not gonna be uh, where the real fruitful stuff's gonna happen. And of course, his wife is actually barren, uh, both of them very old. And from uh, this barren couple, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, we, we get just a little sign of life. An angel shows up and says, I'm gonna bring life to this barren system. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it by bringing life from an old priest and his barren wife. So if that wasn't unlikely enough, we get scene two. Now we move from the sanctuary, at least kind of a likely space where some, something good might come. And now we move out to uh, the middle of nowhere. Now we move out to the countryside of Galilee to a little town called Nazareth. And there we meet a young girl. So we move from a priest in the sanctuary to a young girl out in the middle of nowhere. A dime a dozen, powerless teenage girl. Not even married yet. This doesn't feel like the stuff of an origin story. Look at verse 26. In a sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of, in, in Galilee called Nazareth. So, so this is how, how we know how little Nazareth is. It's Luke's having to, uh, to or, or Gabriel is, uh, sorry, Luke is having to explain and qualify. It's in Galilee. You may not have heard of it, uh, but it, it's, it's a real place, uh, a place called Nazareth. Uh, it's like when you tell somebody you're from, you're from Tomball and they don't live in Texas, you're like, Houston, on the Northwest side in Tomball, like we're qualifying, um, and in many ways, uh, this, this account is going to be parallel to last week's account, uh, to, to the John the Baptist birth announcement. There's some similarities, and yet they're very different. So, so we've moved from the sanctuary uh, to this village in the middle of nowhere. So look at verse 27. Uh, why is the angel in Nazareth, who, here's who he appears to, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary. So just like with John the Baptist, this is, this is at least the first sign that something interesting is happening. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she was a, a daughter in the line of Aaron, uh, an ancient priestly line. And here, Mary's soon-to-be husband, Joseph, we're told is of the house of David. Okay, so there's some royal lineage. Uh, but nothing had happened with David's family in a while, so I'm not sure that this is actually significant. Um, but, but we keep going. Verse 28, "'And the angel came to her and said, "'Greetings, favored woman.'" The Lord is with you. Greetings, favored woman. These are, I think these are stronger words uh, than we might realize. So what, what could a 13-year-old girl in a middle-of-nowhere town, and that's why she was probably 13 or 14, the middle of nowhere, have done, what could she have done to feel like she was God's highly favored one? And the answer, of course, is Nothing. The, the, the Latin Vulgate translation, which was completed about 400 years after this, translates this phrase, uh, the favored woman, into full of grace, which is, which is where Roman Catholicism gets the, the, the idea for the phrase, hail Mary, full of grace. It's, it's, a, it's a repetition of Gabriel's greeting here. Greetings, M- Mary, full of grace. G- hail, greeting, uh, full of grace, uh, to, to Mary. But this isn't a right interpretation of that word. This is a word of blessing being spoken upon Mary, not a description that she is full of grace, which some would then twist to teach that Mary has grace that she can then dispense out to others. Of course, that's not a view that's in line with the scriptures or even church history. The Bible never suggests that Mary should be the recipient of our prayers or that she is dispensing grace, that we should worship her. In fact, this view actually reverses the point uh, that I think we're seeing right here in Luke's gospel. The grace of God doesn't show up to make much of Mary. The grace of God shows up to invite a nobody named Mary into the story of God's grace. And, And isn't that what happens to us? Isn't that who we were? You and me, if, if, you watched, if we watched your story this morning played out on a movie screen, your story of grace, when God came and saved your life by his grace, when, with the, the time that you heard that he could forgive sins, when, when you heard that he could forgive you and his grace moved into your life, what, what would we say when we saw that movie, when we saw that story play out? Wow, what a story. God really found a gem. Is that what we would say? Man, God saved himself a good one. No. No, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say, what a great person God saved. No, when the gospel comes to you, uh, uh, believers erupt, all of heaven rejoices and says, oh, what a great God. That he would save such a one, that he would save anyone. Oh, what kindness that he would take a sinner and adopt them as his child. We don't praise the excellencies of you and of me. We praise the excellencies of him, the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so I I wanna ask, do, do you feel invisible today? Like Mary, like your life is just out in a nowhere place that nobody cares about, unremarkable. Maybe you feel hollow you're unfulfilled by your career. Maybe, maybe you've even gotten married and had kids and yet you still feel exhausted and alone. Maybe you're entering the retirement years and you're looking around going, is, is this all I accomplished? Is this all there is? Or maybe you're a teenager like Mary. Maybe you're a junior high or a high school student And maybe you're feeling lost. Like nobody understands me. I'm never going to amount to much. I, I don't even know if I have a lot of friends. I think a lot of us feel that way. I think a lot of people are feeling alone right now. Know this the God of grace comes to the lonely, He comes to you, He's for you. And when his grace comes into your life, your life means something. Not because of you, but because he's the one who gives such grace. He brings meaning to broken, unlikely places. God shows favor to unlikely people like you and me. And if you've trusted Christ, he did that for you. He did it for me. He's done it for anyone who would believe so the angel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. That's unbelievable. God is with you. And so you can understand why we read in verse 29 her response. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. She's got to be going, what is happening? I am a no one. I live in nowheresville where nothing exciting happens and no one of importance ever ever is. And I'm sure she's stunned at the sight of an angel, uh, but according to Luke, I I love it, that she seems even more stunned by what he said. Greetings, favorite woman. She's staggered. She's speechless. What kind of greeting is this for me? And then in verse 30, the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He reminds her, God's blessing is on you. His grace is to you. Gabriel has some doosies. He's about to drop on Mary. Uh, But before she can hear all that, she needs to know God's with you. God's grace is on you. It's not you, it's him. He's giving you grace, grace for the unlikely. Number two, the unborn hero. There's a lot of great people in these uh, stories. Right here in chapter one, we're gonna meet Elizabeth and Zachariah. They, they're awesome. We're gonna see more of them next week. Mary, John the Baptist, uh, certainly important, fantastic characters in God's word, people who uh, God used. But there is no doubt in the culmination of these two scenes, only one person is the main character and he isn't born yet. Listen to what Gabriel tells Mary in Verse 31. He says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his king will have no end. Now, I, I, I'm, I, I don't fancy myself like an amazing storyteller and so I'm not gonna really try to tell Luke how he should have done this. Um, but, I mean, he's not leaving a lot of suspense, is he? <laughs> like, I'm just gonna throw it all out there. hes he, I mean, Luke, you got 24 chapters to go. You're gonna just roll all this out right now? But this is, yeah, the Holy Spirit inspired this, obviously. I'm just being facetious. But, uh, <laughs> but Luke's not saving bullets, is he? He's, he's coming out first inning, 100-mile-an-hour heaters, I mean, from the top. Uh, he's not saving his arm. Uh, listen to what he says about Jesus. Verse 31, I just want us to hear kind of the things he's saying. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. So I just want to make a list of what he says right off the top. Uh, a month from now, uh, when people are singing, Mary, did you know? Uh, she knew some stuff. Like she knew some stuff right here, right? Uh, so here's what we see. Number one, Jesus. You'll call his name Jesus. Luke doesn't elaborate, but this is this is a play on the Old Testament name, Joshua. You'll name him Yeshua, this is what it would have sounded like to Hebrews' ear, Hebrew ears uh, or Jesus uh, in Greek. And we say in English, Jesus. This, this name means the Lord saves. To call him Jesus is to call him the Savior. Verse 32, he'll be great. This is better than I, what I mean when I say the word great. Uh, I, I call fajitas great. Uh, I call sandwiches great. Um, when somebody says, see you tomorrow, I say, sounds great. Um, I don't think that's what I actually mean. Uh, we just like we just use it, right? What I should mean it sounds good. Uh, yeah, that, that's probably better. But <laughs> uh, Gabriel means Jesus will be great. He'll be preeminent over all others. David says in Psalm one forty five, "Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable." Jesus is better than Muhammad Ali, right? Who said, "I am the greatest." Jesus is the great one. He goes on in verse thirty two. And he'll be called the son of the most high. Who's the most high? God. This is a long hell way of saying God. And and this is not not just God specifically, God the father. So so the son of the most high is the son of God. What what an amazing claim. Gabriel is going to say that again in a couple verses. He's the son of God. So John is called the prophet of the Most High and while Jesus is the son of the Most High. What an amazing thing, the son of God. And Gabriel goes on, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is, this is to fulfill 2 Samuel 7 where, where God tells David about the, the coming ruler in 2 Samuel seven 14. I'll be his father and he will be my son. And then a couple of verses later, God told David, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. That hasn't really been Mary's experience. That hasn't really been the experience of God's people, so they thought. But Gabriel is saying now, It's coming still. This is him. A descendant of King David is what we're dealing with, right? The great, 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 great grandfather of Joseph, who will be Jesus' legal father, is King David. Jesus will sit on the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. As the ruler on David's throne, he'll be over the house of Jacob. That means he'll be over uh, the nation of Israel, over uh, God's people, over the people of Mary. Israel had been a shell of its former glory. The only kings that they knew We're enemy kings, but this is Israel's true king. And what kind of reign will this king have? Like a good, like 50-year reign? They needed a good one like that, like a good 50 years. No, he's gonna reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. Man, this is beyond. This is beyond just a good new leader. This is Isaiah, Isaiah 9 sort of stuff. His kingdom will have no end. And note the timing. What has Jesus done at this point? What has he done that Luke is showing us? Luke is not presenting us some good man who has has been an accomplished leader, who is now being promoted to carry the name Messiah. That's what some of the cults would teach. No, he is the son of God, the Messiah, the king of Israel forever. When? Before he is ever born. This is our pre existent king. The hero isn't even born yet. And to the Jewish listener, some, someone like, you know, Mary, they would hear Gabriel's words about Jesus with, with, with interest. Wait, wait, who is this? This is some incredible stuff, some amazing words. And so then we see number three the impossible plan. I love that Luke's account of this interaction uh, with Mary, uh, with Gabriel and Mary, is, is exactly how it seems like it would have gone with a teenage girl. That's not, I'm not saying anything about teenage girls. Follow with me here. I, I, I can even imagine Mary, as she told this story to Luke, likely in her older age, um, he told me all these amazing things about Jesus, about who Jesus would be. And, and I mean, I can reflect now and, and, and how unbelievable and amazing all of these things were that something monumental was happening in history. And she will soon. She's gonna sing a song about it uh, very shortly. But after the angel gives his roll call of all these amazing things that Jesus is going to be, what was Mary's reply? The exact one that you, any of us would have had. The exact one that any teenage girl would have had. Uh, verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Uh, I'm a virgin. Perfect, right? The perfect response. Isn't that what we would have been asking? Soon she's going to be writing these amazing songs and, and, and she's going she's to ponder all these things in her heart of who Jesus is and is going to be. Uh, but her first response to Gabriel is, um, hey, uh, just hold up just a second. Uh, we need to have a quick talk. You said a lot of stuff there um, and it was great, but I kind of stopped computing it all when you said uh, that I was gonna conceive and give birth. She's going, I, I know some stuff. I had the talk already. Uh, I know about babies. I know how that works. And there's just, uh, there's nothing going on here. Uh, and, and But check out what he says in verse 35. I, I, I love the, re- this, is, this is a real response uh, to such amazing news. In verse 35, the angel replied to her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's amazing. God himself, the Son of God will be born. This is the incarnation and it is amazing. And Mary has to be just going, what on earth? I think this, I think this little interaction here tells us just a couple of things, um, pretty clearly. Number one, it says, it teaches us that Jesus was born of a virgin. I know that may seem like, well, duh, of course, that's what it says. Um, but our contemporary minds and many around us want to explain things like this away, uh, but there's no interpretive debate here about what Luke is saying. Unless we just throw out Mary's reply altogether, or unless we just say, ah, Luke, we don't have to, you know, he was kind of taking some liberties. Uh, he was telling, he was, he was playing with the story here. We don't, we can't do either of those things, right? This is Luke's verified testimony taken, eyewitness account given account. We can't do this. This is God's word. This is inspired by the spirit. This is the teaching of the gospel account. It is what was understood by the early church. No one added this to, to the story generations later. No, Jesus was born of a virgin. Number two, Jesus was born of a virgin so he could be sacrificed for us. I think I've overlooked this interaction before. It can be so familiar. But this is, this, I saw this as I read in a commentary this week uh, that there, There are a lot of similarities to this and the creation account. That The whole trinity is present. Remember in Genesis 1, just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis, now we read that the Holy Spirit comes on or comes over Mary. And just as God spoke creation into existence, now by the power of who? Power of the Most High, of God, God the Father, he brings forth a body a tiny little fetal body. Hebrews 5 says this about Jesus. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he, Jesus said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. And then in verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. That's about Jesus the divine son of God. He was born as a man, a little baby. He was incarnated into the womb of Mary, fully man with, with an umbilical cord. Like all the human stuff, a human mom that would feed him, that would teach him, but fully God, the son by the power of the most high God. We needed a God-man to be our sacrifice. One who could die as a man in our place, but one who could do so without sin. What an impossible plan. But one ordained by the, the incredible and sovereign mind of God himself. To Mary, this seemed crazy, but when, when the power of God is on the scene, we're gonna see, we're gonna see even crazier things than this. Notice Gabriel doesn't scold Mary here for her astonishment. No, he he comforts her. He gives her courage for the path ahead. He says this in verse 36. He's telling her, you're not alone. Look at this. He says, consider your, your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. What God is asking Mary to do here is gonna be a heavy burden. But in his kindness... He says, you know, your cousin, to help you believe and to, to give you uh, courage for the path ahead, go see her. The miracle impossible working of God is at work in her and it's six months ahead. Go see, go see what's happening six months ahead of you. And I'm so grateful God gives Mary this grace. It's, it reminds me of, of the people of God of the church family. It's it's like having a church family. We're saved by grace, a miracle of God. He's done a work in us, but the burdens of life are still painful. So what do we need? I, I need I need a spiritual cousin who's six months further down the road than me. And I need to go see them trusting God. I need to see them walking through something hard so that I can remember, yes, God's trustworthy. Yes, he's at work that they might bear burdens with me, that they might rejoice with me. Someone just a few steps ahead. But what an impossible plan, right? A son of God himself coming to earth through the womb of a teenage girl. And Gabriel's last words to her are this in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. That takes us to number four. We need the impossible It's hard for Mary to fathom all this. It's hard for us to fathom it. Again, people have tried to for ages, explain away these supernatural occurrences in the scriptures. But all of Luke is gonna be filled with stories like this. The son of God, Jesus himself, healing the sick, forgiving sin. Luke is just getting started. And I think we often think to ourselves, if I could have just been there and seen the miracles firsthand, and yet many who saw, they didn't believe. Why? Because their hearts were hard. And this is why as we look to Jesus, we have to remember what he has done for you, what he has done for me. This is the impossible. Because without the impossible, without the miracle power of God, what do we have? You were lost. You were filled with sin and shame and regret, and he rescued you. This baby that Gabriel talked about, he took the curse of sin for you. and he took it to the cross. He removed your shame. And now, like Mary, because of Jesus, you have the favor of God. Not because you did anything, but because the Spirit of God came over your life. And He gave you a new heart. He brought you to life by His grace. What a divine exchange that he who knew no sin became your sin. And then in, in its place, he gave you his perfection. You didn't earn it. You still can't, but he did it for you. And even now he's making you holy. And like Mary, he tells you, he tells me, he tells us he'll be with us till the end of the age. That's a miracle. All that is a, an amazing miracle of God, but none of it even matters unless he did the most miraculous of all, unless Jesus walked out of a grave three days after his lifeless body had been carried inside. Oh, we must believe the impossible. We, our faith is in what could only be done by God. The road forward with Jesus will be difficult. Therefore, we must Trust in what the impossibility of God to know that neither height nor depth nor things present or things to come can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because only as we believe that can we respond the way that Mary does. In verse 38, she says, see, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary believed that God was with her but she knew what was coming. She, she knew that her life going forward would be, I mean, there, there, this is scandal, right? Uh, there would be those who would that, would, that would think ill of her. She had to, certainly she had to imagine that Joseph might even leave her, uh, that she might be all alone with a baby, which was terrifying. Certainly she was fearful and I don't think there's any way at this point that she could have seen and, for, and, and known what was to come through the cross and the empty tomb. But in such a powerful word of trust, she says, I'm your servant, Lord. Let your plan happen. Sounds kind of like Isaiah, right? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Sounds like the words of, of trust uttered by Esther and by Ruth, by Job, And so we are in the same situation. How is it for us when life is difficult? Do you trust and believe that the same unmerited favor that that Gabriel announced to Mary, that 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 favor of God also rests on you? I think we'd struggle. I think we have to be encouraged again to believe. And so I I just wanna encourage us this morning, fear not favored saints. Fear not. God is with you. He will be with you to the end of the age. If you are in Christ, He is with you. And whatever trial you're in, whatever dark road He has called you to walk down, whatever, whatever season you're in that it's hard to see how this could actually end well, submit yourself as His servant. Walk by His Spirit. And his power will overshadow your weakness and your inability, and he will accomplish something that you could never accomplish on your own. For with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for him. Fear not, beloved. God is with you. Let me pray. Father, would would you would you just let this reality sink on us today? That because of nothing that we've done, nothing we could have done, nothing we will do, your grace is on our life and it is all because of Jesus. Father, you are so merciful to us so, Father, today, as, as we may feel alone, as we may walk through uncertainty, as we may long for your promises to unfold in our life and we, we wait, would you give us uh, the grace to walk in trust, to walk knowing that you're with us each step, to walk knowing that your spirit empowers us for each moment. Father, would, would you demonstrate yourself, make yourself great through us. And God, would you do this all for the sake of your name? Amen.